Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, from Struggle to Success, Recovering It All. To all our returning listeners, thank you so much for supporting the show. I love getting your messages. I love hearing your feedback. It truly warms my heart. Uh, for all the new listeners, welcome. I hope you enjoy, and feel free to drop me a line anytime. I'm really excited to introduce today's guests for several reasons. One of them being that I'm actually not feeling my greatest. I think my voice reflects that. <laughs> um, and I think that this person is just going to be a really like wonderful person to talk to when I'm not feeling good. Um, <laughs> because that's kind of a thing that she does for a lot of people. And it's really wonderful. Um, she is someone who I've got recommendations from different people at different organizations that I just have to meet. You know, when different people who don't even know each other are recommending the same person to you that they have to be doing some truly wonderful work. So with that being said, I'm happy and excited to introduce Eve Crevache, the executive director of Take This. Eve, I hope I said your last name correctly. Please correct sure me. Did. You oh, sure right. did. Okay. I'm really bad with uh, asking beforehand. I'm trying to get better about that, but I keep forgetting. So Eve is the executive director of Take This. The mission of Take This, in its own words, is to, quote, decrease the stigma and increase the support for mental health in the game enthusiast community and inside the game industry. So Eve, welcome to the show. I'd love for you to introduce yourself and take this and just add a couple sentences onto that very brief Sure thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I'm really excited to be here, Lizzie. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, uh, as you said, I'm executive director. I've been with Take This about four years, and um, the organization itself was founded in 2014, so about eight years ago. Um, and uh, we do a variety of things across games and across mental health. We do research, advocacy, training and workshops, and resource development for people who make and play games and people who are streamers and content creators as well. So we cover um, a really broad swath. And um, our perspective is that we need to address some of the underlying uh, challenges that are baked into the culture and structure of games and um, the game industry um, that can contribute to mental health well-being and mental health distress and challenges. So we talk a lot about what it's like to work in the industry, the content and, and um, design of games, the experience of being in online spaces as players and makers of games, um, and a variety of things related to that. Um, and so, um, so increasingly, our, our, our work has broadened to include those kind of underlying issues related to mental well-being. I think it's really cool that you touch on a lot of different aspects within the gaming industry. Yeah. Uh, because I I love research and hopefully people listening know that by now. <laughs> I'm a big data nerd. Wanted to start this discussion just by offering some conclusions from various studies and literature reviews, which I will definitely link in the show notes. Um, these are on the link between gaming and mental health. I, I found yeah. that was a little bit more between people who play games. Um, I think I talk yes. a lot about what the industry does to mental health on the show. Um, we so can I talk about that too, but yeah, which we absolutely can. I never shy away from it. Um, but these, the certain kind of statistics and stuff, I was trying to bring sort of a different view. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, so, uh, one quotation I found is, or one conclusion I found from a particular paper is quote, excessive video gaming is found to be associated with positive emotions and social relationships while playing. However, problematic and excessive video gaming is also associated with maladaptive coping strategies, negative emotions and attitudes, low self-esteem, loneliness, and poor academic performance, end quote. So video games have been linked to, not shown to cause in any way, I don't want to draw that distinction very, right. very strongly, <laughs> yeah. um, depression, anxiety, and other poor mental health outcomes for a myriad of reasons, one being that they can be used as a coping me mechanism, Environments within video games have also been linked to low self-esteem. As you mentioned, um, there's a lot of representation issues. There's there's a lot of toxicity in the environment issues. For streamers, there's a lot of a whole host of content moderation issues and chat moderation issues. Um, and I I I 
sort of struggle to frame this because we are obviously people who also believe in the positive impact of video games. So yeah, I don't yeah. want to let that go kind of under the rug. And this is why I liked that particular quote that positive that video gaming can add a lot to people's lives. <laughs> um, but yes, so with that framing, I also wanted to bring in a couple facts from about mental health directly from Take This's website. Um, an estimated one in two Americans will be diagnosed with a mental health condition in their lifetime. Approximately one in five will be diagnosed in a given year. And the most common types of diagnoses in the U.S. are anxiety disorders, of which there are many types. And 50% of lifetime cases of mental health conditions begin by age 14 and 75% by age 24. So a very young population that we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. And now that we've talked about this picture, I want to get a lot of your thoughts on what you're doing to address some of the issues of mental health and video games, what you tell parents that are saying these are only yeah. bad and now that's just not true um but some of the things that you do some of the missions that you support um yeah just let's let's walk through what take this actually does yeah so um we do we do a lot of public advocacy and we talk to parents we talk to um media we talk to the public we talk to the industry itself um but primarily we are um we want what we want to do is bring good science to bear on these questions and to an accurate science and like normalize. So we want to say in a way that's translatable to people who make and play games like, hey, it's OK to get help. It's OK to need help that the communities. So one of the biggest protective we talk about protective factors in mental health. One of the biggest protective factors that helps like build resiliency, helps people feel like they're supported and like they're going to be OK. Um, uh, is community. And what is, you know, the experience of playing games online, if not community, right? Community is really, really powerful. And if you could find positive, supportive communities, especially communities, we, we try to help people build communities that are, that don't stigmatize mental health and that are, that provide accurate information and, and access to good resources. Um, and we, you know, pr help community moderators and managers and, and creators do that, right? Um, um, if you can do that, you you often set people up for success without them needing further intervention. Um, that said, especially as we come into year three of this pandemic, like mental health challenges are ubiquitous and people are really suffering. And the truth is that a lot of people need access to services. That's that there's problems with that continuum, what we call the continuum of care, especially in the U.S. Um, and across Western Europe. But and there's and there's, a, you know, there's there's problems with like supply, like the availability of care. But um, there's also challenges around just stigma and not knowing how to access it and what to do and where to start. So we try to talk about that stuff, which is just general mental health, you know, knowledge. Um, but um, but we also, you know, we want to, one of the things that we're increasingly talking about, and you, you're like, how do we talk to parents? What is the issues? You know, what do we want to mm -hmm. say that's about the positives and negatives? Like in general, playing games, and playing games online is really wonderful for people and and it and it fulfills all kinds of needs that people have for play i mean play is like a universal need and it turns out adults need to play not just kids and you know it's all kinds of stuff the psychology around that is really interesting and and the evidence about you know play and games as a cultural force exists for millennia you know across all kinds of cultures and so we we know that but we also know that um the ways that certain games are built, the ways that communities um, function online, and the experience that kids have online, it can be really, really problematic and, in some time, and sometimes downright dangerous. And so when I speak to parents about online gaming, I say, and online spaces in general, including social media, I'm like, and I have an 11 year old, so I, you know, I talk to parents a lot, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, uh, I, I say this is the only place where you need to be a helicopter parent. You actually want to be a helicopter parent. You want to be really aware of what they're doing online, where and how. And in fact, um, you know, my child, my 11 year old, a lot of her peers have cell phones already. My mm -hmm. child is not getting a cell phone for a number of years to come. And I know, and that's a very intentional choice, right? Um, there, she spends a lot of time on screens, more time than a lot of other parents would let. But that's because she's doing all kinds of things on screens. And one of my research director talks about instead of talking about like 
screen time, she talks about a digital diet. This comes, it's not from her, but it comes from other really interesting research. The idea of a digital diet, what are the things you're doing online and what needs do they fulfill and what kind of activity are they? Like it's one thing if you're going to sit in front of Netflix for six hours a day. It's another thing entirely if you're um, talking with your friends, if you are playing or creating cool things online, if you're writing, um, you know, those are all really different kinds of activities. They may all involve a screen, but that's mm -hmm. okay. You're right. Um, and so, so I, we try to bring a lot of nuance and, um, and perspective to the conversation around um, uh, gaming and, and game use. Um, there are things that are very concerning online and they, especially around um, extremist behavior, the normalizing of hate speech, uh, white supremacist, fascist, and and neo-Nazi language. That's really scary and real. It's a small problem, but it's loud. Right. And so a lot of people get exposed to it. Um, harassment and, and abuse across across online spaces, including in games, is really tough. And we are only at the tip of the iceberg understanding what's actually happening in games because um, uh, there just hasn't been as much research and as much work done inside games or as much acknowledgement of the issue inside games as outside of the games, like in social media and stuff. Um, and it's less visible. It's harder to find, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't, they're not public spaces. Right. So they're yeah, harder yeah, to see. Yeah. yeah. It's harder to comb through hours and hours of chat. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's written chat. Yeah. It's, it's really hard. Like, yeah. Possible, so. It's really, ver yeah. It, and some of the tech challenges are really big, right? And so, like, we acknowledge that. It's not like, I think people are just, you know, bad and don't care. I think it's just really, we've, we've come up against some big problems. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we try to, you know, we try to talk about stuff in, in nuanced ways. I think I'm answering your question. You are. Yeah. No, well, this is kind of, okay. this is a very open-ended, yeah. like, tell me your thoughts questions. So you're doing great. Tell me my thoughts. Yeah. So that's, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the like online space uh, conversation. There's a whole separate conversation around um, uh, harm and working conditions and cultural norms in the industry. Yeah. Like a few years ago, we put out a white paper on the state of mental health and games. We've now started the Culture Shift Project, which is addressing specifically gender-based harm in games mm -hmm. um, in partnership with Feminist Frequency, another great nonprofit. Um, we've talked extensively and have an older white paper on crunch and the issues, the mental health issues around crunch and um, trying to debunk the, all of those myths. We talk a lot about the danger of the, the myth of passion in games, that like if you're passionate you come to games because you're passionate about games, which means that that can be kind of weaponized and exploited um, and and turned into something that forces people to work long hours and in dysfunctional environments, et cetera. So um, we talk a lot about those pieces. Um, we're increasingly interested in what um, the Fair Play Alliance and others across the industry are doing around positive design. Like how do you design for pro-social outcomes? Um, and a little plug to my husband's game studio, uh, uh, Spry Fox, which has made um, a number of games um, uh, that like really are trying to actively do that. They're not the only ones. There's some other really wonderful um, studios. Do, and, and a lot of indie studios are thinking a lot about pro-social design. Um, and so, um, yeah, so we have our fingers in a lot of different places and um, are just really trying to move the needle where it feels like we can measurably impact people's experience and their ability to be well while enjoying this wonderful hobby and, and industry. Which I love. Uh, there's two quick things that I want <laughs> to discuss or bring up. One is that I, in the beginning of the yeah, pandemic, yeah. specifically what relates to parenting, I had read an article about, you know, everyone was kind of throwing away screen time when school got canceled and all this stuff was happening, right? And one woman yeah. said, I yeah, can't, her, her son had been recording like videos and stuff on his GoPro and then coming back through and editing them and making all these YouTube videos and sharing it with his friends. And she, she basically mm -hmm. said, I can't believe I'm so worried about limiting screen time when all I was doing was like limiting his creative outlet with video editing and creating and all this mm -hmm. stuff. So I think I thought that was really a poignant observation of, um, yeah, digital diet. That is poignant. Screen time, yeah. what you said. Um, and the second thing is that I did a really, really cool interview with uh, with three developers that was released a couple weeks ago who are 
building a game mm. that tries to um, reward positive social behavior and reward role models and create different yeah. levels for different competitions. Like if you want to mm. go in and earn more points, you can go in with the beginners and teach them. But if you just want to get log on and play like, our game, you can go and like, oh. advanced play and do that. So anyways, really cool interview. It was, it was like you said, a, a kind of a reframing of the way we think about game development. Um, so that those things yeah. are baked yeah. in from the beginning. Um, it was a really, really cool concept. So highly recommend that. So anyways, with that in mind, totally. What steps are you hoping to see within the industry? And these are very broad sort of conversations. Um, yeah, that yeah. can Im- help improve or promote better mental health awareness for how players are interacting with games. Um, and again, very broad strokes here. But we've, there's just there's there's been a lot of negative news. Like, what can game companies do to start working on that? Yeah, <laughs> and these are these are the big problems. Oh, this is a huge so. question. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think one of the challenges that the game industry is facing right now and has been for a little while is that there's such a moral panic around games that's wrong. Mm-hmm. The moral panic is around games cause violence and games are addictive. And like that's been disproven over and over mm-hmm. and over again and pretty convincingly. <laughs> um, in fact, the WHO is starting to have to publicly walk back its adoption of game internet game addiction as a or in a, internet gaming disorder as a um as a valid diagnosis even though because they were pressured into it by certain countries which is fascinating it's political um so the the but the moral panic what the moral panic has done it has made the whole industry and people who identify as gamers or play, people who love games very defensive and not really co- feel comfortable like they can talk about the real things that they worry about in games um, because they're so busy uh, defending games from these stupid accusations mm-hmm. that are not true, and um, and then you then the industry is like in this environment, this online environment that's really toxic. Like being a game developer in public online means that you you receive harassment. Like there is. You can't do one without the other. You can't say I'm, I make games publicly without expecting, expecting harassment online. And so, um, and sometimes um, like really awful harassment, like doxing and, and um, swatting and those kinds of things, but, but, but um, not always. And so that makes people really cautious and scared. And, um, also, at the same time, the industry has, um, like a lot of tech and a lot of society, a real problem with harm, gender-based harm, marginalization of, of people of color and marginalized genders and sexualities, and over and over and over and over and over again, in the way that um, hiring and, and promotion is done in the way that games topics are chosen in the way that portrayals uh, uh, in the way that people portray characters and 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 mythologies and tropes and um etc in games like over and over and over again and then you get people people trying to claim that their games aren't political which drives me nuts um and so um those two things and then you have this history of the gamer identity and this marketing and, and reinforcement of an idea that a gamer is a, a white male of a certain age, um, which excludes a lot of people from that identity and from that space. Um, and, you know, and people are starting like companies are starting to recognize that that's wrong and, and starting to break out of that. But it's a pretty persistent identity. And um, we've got some new research that my research director is doing on gamer identity that makes that even more scary and but interesting fascinating because of the way that gamer identity is matched with like extremist belief and and ter- and neo-nazi and fascist identity and and that's fun but um really delight research topic <laughs> yeah really delightful <laughs> but but what you do is you you have all of those things packed together and you have a really challenging environment in which um it's hard to push the needle forward um, especially at big game companies who um, really are risk averse um, to in thinking about how do I 
how do we talk about games differently? How do we build games that are really different? And how do we um, how do we get out of this idea of people who play games are the same people who make games and who are they and what is their identity? Right. Um, and so, um, so you have to find disruptors in that, in that cycle. And one of the, there's been these, these three years in a row, there's been these really major breaking stories about game companies being abusive and harassing and, and bad at working environments, especially for women, but for many identities. And, um, and like, they're the most egregious and the most, and they're in count. Two of them are in California, so the state of California was like, "We're gonna get on this bandwagon, right?" Um, but they are—they um, are the tip of the iceberg, right? They're the visible tip of the iceberg in the sense that they are indicative of a larger culture across the industry, and that has been an opportunity that we've seen to say it, come in, and be like, "Okay, we need to talk about and address this thing, this work environment." But when you do that, the business case is that then you will make games and create spaces that are better for and more representative of a larger audience, right? Because if more people are included in the room when you make games, you're gonna make a game that addresses more experiences, more needs, et cetera. And so we're seeing that gradually shift across the industry in very exciting, these are big ships to move and big cultural forces to address. Like (laughs) I'm not, I am not any under under any illusions as to uh, like how far this needs to go, but that's kind of that's what I see. That's what I see. Well, it's good. I mean, I'm encouraged by it, and this is a sentiment that comes up on the show quite a bit that progress is being made. Um, like you said, they're big ships to move. It's slower than we'd like. Um, yeah, but at least there's things that are happening. <laughs> There really are. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to say that, you know, this is a, this is really about culture change and hearts and minds. Right. And um, we're growing faster than we can, almost faster than we can manage to take this, which means that there is some level of demand and interest um, that's substantial. That said, we're not going to change everybody's mind. We're not going to impact everybody's work experience. And also, there are vast cultural differences, especially when it comes to mental health and the way people talk about mental health and mental illness cross-culturally. Mm-hmm. And so we're really good at speaking to this in, in the U.S., Canada, and Western Europe. But when I try to speak to a company that's working in Malaysia or in Japan or in South America, like the the conversations that I can have and the the people that I need to work with in order to have even have those conversations because mm-hmm. they're culturally so different. Those are those are bigger gaps and bigger um, shifts sometimes. And um, you know, I, I we just I have to be real about that. Like, there's mm-hmm. going to be shifts across the industry that come faster in some places than others. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good to know. Um, I, I, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Point of view. Um, we all do. We all do. Right. Um, hard when you live in a place. Yeah. Too long. <laughs> Think from that lens. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk more about culture shift and what you're doing from this frequency, and actually talk yeah. about in, in this space. Uh, I was actually fortunate enough, just by happenstance, to sit in recently. Uh, on on research that's coming out soon um, by a woman who was working on kind of a hostility scale and what she called the glass monitor. And that term mm-hmm, is yeah. in the industry. And if it's something you're familiar with, I'm happy to let you explain more. What I understood it was a lot about women in gaming. The, from, from the very beginning, the you know, lack of familial support as the young girls and gaming is seen as a boy activity all the way up to hostile environments, girl and women gamers encounter playing online, developing games, streaming, all of all of the any associated game activities, whether you're just someone who started playing a game when you're 17 and went online one time, all the way to you are, you know, Pokimane, one of the biggest streamers on one of the largest game streaming platforms, um, and what that looks mm-hmm. like. 
Um, so I want to talk more about culture shift and feminist frequency and just about the resources that you offer people who are in traditionally underserved communities from women to people of color to people of different sexual orientations. Um, and what advice you're giving on the industry side to try and, and we talked about this a little bit, but get those folks more in the room and make sure that their needs and just their general safety requirements are being met. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll say, I want to frame this to say that harm is happening across lots of different intersectional identities. Um, mm -hmm. And um, and it's really important to acknowledge that we're talking about gender-based harm at the Culture Shift Project because it's the one that has come where the opening is, where the opportunity is. And because we have to, you have to be really specific when you talk about harm and unpacking different types of harm. And so we have to start somewhere with something very specific in order to do it justice. So this is the one we're starting with, is gender-based harm, um, with an acknowledgement of those intersectionalities. And um, Anita Sarkeesian and I began speaking um, like three, three years ago when the, the first allegations about riot came out. And there was also like it was the same. There was there was there was the whole all the allegations about riot. And then there was also a bunch of exposure of um, streamers. And there was a whole bunch of stuff at the same time. It happened all around PAX West. And um, and she and I started talking. We had never met each other, but we kind of knew each other's orbits. And, and we were like, well, we have to do something about this. What? <laughs> you know, there's and there's a lot of different pieces of the puzzle. And so she was able to. That, yeah. yeah um, she was able to get <laughs> the games and online harassment hotline up and running. And, and that's still a project of, of Feminist Frequency. Great, fantastic resource. Really and inf well informed um, on gender based harm. But then. She and I and, and folks on her team as well um, began talking for a while, kind of figuring out, well, how do we do culture, culture, sh like really sh culture change work? How do you start with leadership? What does that look like? We, we put together a lot of different ideas. And, um, you know, in the meantime, news kept coming in. Ubisoft, Activision Blizzard. And then Activision Blizzard really kind of broke open. Every, suddenly everyone was was like, we, we have to talk about this. this it's not going to stop and it's not going to change. And we had meantime arrived at this really, um, at this framework of, called accountability and repair, which comes from restorative or reparative justice. And that's, this comes from indigenous and, and, and black culture, right? This really different approach. It's not car carceral or punitive. It's not legalistic. It is how do you do actual repair, take actual accountability, and um, and put those together in a framework that works in a work environment. Because the thing is that the industry, uh, because it's a mobile, it's a small mobile industry where people move around a lot and you know from job to job, is exists like functions with all kinds of whisper networks and lots of harm and lots of like really um, people, lots of trauma that people have like internalized and, and like sat, lived with for a long time. And those things don't go away and they don't get better. And whisper networks, like they're all we've got, but they're really bad tools because they, um, if you're not in the network, you don't get access to the information. They um, escalate things, right? Instead of de-escalate and they don't help anyone change. They don't help anyone be healed or repaired and they don't help people who've caused harm to like figure out what they've done and do better they just like blacklist people and you need that new model and so that was really we decided that was the model that we needed to come to the plate with was a different way of thinking about harm that that really held people truly accountable and gave them the tools and knowledge and opportunity to change and focused on the survivor and gave them a sense of repair and support and healing. Because if you don't help a survivor, you just like investigate whether or not their allegation is right. You've left them kind of high and dry and they still have that trauma and that experience. Like that doesn't solve a damn thing. So this was the set of, um, this was the framework that we are coming to the table with. And that's like, that's a big shift, especially in corporate environments with big legal departments and HR departments, like it's a huge shift. So we were like, how do we implement that? How do we do the acculturation work? How do we like help people understand harm and consent and power dynamics? And then how do we, and bystander behavior, 
And then how do we change the actual systems and help people implement accountability and repair process and understand what that looks like and understand why. Um, and so that's what the Culture Shift Project is. And it's a it's um, it's Feminist Frequency and Take This and, and our teams. And we um, we're rolling out our first engagement right now. And that's really exciting. And um, and, you know, we're getting the large studio. It's over 300 folks. That's awesome. And um, and and I think and, and we've got interest from a number of other places, too. So I think we'll be we'll be doing that more. Um, and then we're also looking at indie indie studios because they have less capacity to pay and smaller groups. And how do we bring micro indies, especially really small studios together in cohorts and build this program for them like that? Um, that's the other kind of approach we're taking. Um, so it is our desire to talk about accountability to repair. Like I, I did a talk with two of my colleagues, Cassie Walker and, and Jalen at GDC about accountability and repair. How do we like bring that idea, that concept to the table more? And then how do we do this in a studio? So, cool. yeah. Well, I, I, I think focusing on survivors is something that I wish a lot of us And yeah, really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I want yep. to pivot a little bit just because I don't often get to talk to folks that are in the nonprofit space with yeah. anything. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's a joy to hear about Take This for sure. I hope a lot of people go and can use a lot of the resources you provide. There's just definitely a lot of news that's centered on the growth in the industry. It's just definitely code for investment startups, companies, mm -hmm. that, which nothing wrong with that. That's all great. I'd love to see that kind of growth. But definitely. I would love to hear more about how what's going on on the nonprofit side and you have mentioned several organizations now that you've worked with, collaborated with, paired up with to do different projects. And how, what has it been like on the nonprofit side and for people who want to get involved? How do they find that part mm -hmm. of the games industry? Um, yeah, there is a thriving um, nonprofit uh, sector to games, um, which is really cool. And some great advocacy organizations. And what we all do is, is we're all able to be there on the outside as subject matter experts who can who can act as advocates, but not apologists for games. So we can be like, yes, games are awesome. And you can do better in X, Y, or Z ways, or these are the opportunities. And, you know, and so um, I mentioned Feminist Frequency, the Fair Play Alliance, um, uh, um, there's uh, Games for Change, Able Gamers is another great organization um, doing advocacy work, Gamer X, you know, and so there are all these great um, nonprofits and we, um, you know, we have to, we have to find grant funding. We have to find funding inside the industry. Um, take this, we do a lot of, you know, we do all these workshops, right. And people pay for those and that's an important funding stream for us. Um, and we have a lot of streamers and, and, and volunteers and folks who come and, you know, do fundraisers on our behalf, which is really awesome. Um, and so, you know, we have seen our, opportunity and and scope grow as the game industry has grown and as we've been able to kind of find the ways the relevant ways to talk to the industry about what we're doing but um we you know the thing about nonprofit work is that like we ha i have a staff most all almost all of my staff are clinicians they're you know pr professionals and that's intentional and so the we have volunteer opportunities. We have mod volunteer moderators in our Discord. We have volunteers who moderate, who who um, help us run our AFK rooms and our um, our in person presence at conventions. Um, but um, but they're they're limited. There's not a ton of volunteer opportunities. If you are interested, uh, the way to get involved is to go to our Discord and join that community. You can find out kind of you get more invested, and you can find that link on our website. Under our in our community resources page, um, but the the um, the truth of the matter is that by and large, nonprofits need money to do our work. <laughs> That's the way it works, right? Um, I have to pay yeah, the people who work for me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, and I have to, you know, we have to pay for all the systems and tools that allow us to do our jobs well. Um, and when we have that, then we can provide the services, the resource, the expertise that is ours to give. Um, but our volunteers are um, increasingly, as we build our community out, as we as we increase that the profile of that, as we you know increase the number of community resources we provide, 
Like that's really important to us. And we also, if you're a streamer, content creator, we have an, a, a streaming ambassador program and we will, um, we, we have a, a, a semi-regular uh, application window kind of every year where we bring new folks in and, and invite them into a community, a learning community and a, and a kind of promotion, you know, mutual support community. Um, so it is, um, yeah, I mean, that, that's the nonprofit sector. We, we really, I thrive most on being, knowing that I can work in collaboration with the industry to do interesting work and to like change. Cause that really is like, if I'm going to move the needle, I've got to get the way that games are made and the way that game companies operate to, to, to change. Right. And so that's mm -hmm. where I'm most invested in working and partnering with. And um, and I'm we're starting to have those opportunities. Yeah. What made you want to come to take that and to work in specifically <laughs> with gaming? You know, um, I laugh because I kind of fell into this, and I'm so happy I did. Um, so I've been my whole career, aside from a brief stint as a um, yoga teacher, which I also loved, um, has been in the nonprofit sector. So I've, I started as a, um, like I worked at the Boston Children's Museum after college, like working on the floor in the Children's Museum, like running school field trips and, you know, like fishing kids out of exhibits and stuff like that. Um, I've always done this work. I've, yeah, well, literally there was this climbing structure. And I like would have to like, I, like fell into the koi pond. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of felt like that sometimes. Let me tell you. Um, that was what, 25 years ago. Um, and, um, so, so, you know, I always knew that I wanted to do social change work and I, I took a long time of kind of meandering through a number of jobs, going to grad school to get a master's in cultural studies and coming back into grant writing and to kind of figure out where I wanted to be. And about five years ago, I left an awful job and, um, you know, had to recover from that. And was I was in the, the luxury, luxurious place of being able to take some time off and do that, do some consulting. And my husband generously put out, he's, he's as I mentioned, runs a game studio. And he put out that I was available for consulting. And um, uh, Take This reached out, was like, hey, yeah, we need some help. And it turned out they needed a lot of help. And so um, I came on first as a consultant, then as managing director. And then they were like, can you, can you just take the job? I was like, okay. And it took me a little while to figure out that being the executive of director of Take This meant that I could do the work that I'd always wanted to do. But once I figured that out, it was like I was off to the races. And I'm so gratified by what I'm doing and where I'm doing it. And it's so fun to work in this industry and, um, and to celebrate what games are and what they can be. So yeah, it's been, it's just, I, I can't believe my luck at this point. So. Well, it's such a fun story though. Um, yeah, it is a great story. <laughs> well, it is because I, I know, you know, I, I, not that I have a similar path, but I know a lot of folks, I was previously at a nonprofit, I know a lot of folks in the nonprofit area. I think it's just good to know that you can pursue the things that you want to pursue and still end up in gaming. Yours, I think, was a little bit more, mm. maybe, maybe more on the chance side of um, chance and intention, but yeah, totally, there is totally. Also, yeah. an intention side that people can can take up, and if if you love nonprofit work, like, and you love games, go go for yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, we're you know we're we're hiring, and and we're hiring actually a non clinical job uh, soon, and it's. Um, you know, like show up, volunteer for us because because this work is expanding the work, not just of, of take this, but a lot of these organizations. So kind of showing up around them, there's opportunity everywhere and there's really cool stuff happening. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Get out there. Well, and in that vein, I want to end with a question. Um, uh, one of my big passions and the passions that I've shared on the show a lot is about emerging tech for sure. Um, mm. So the, the building of the metaverse. We talked about that a lot, um, and it's mostly just yeah. because I really, really like thinking about Web three and blockchain and metaverse and all these all these buzzwordy things. Actually, mm -hmm. really cool and complicated tech behind them. Um, but it it definitely we've definitely seen a result of tech moving a lot faster than our understanding of the consequences of tech. 
Um, Mental health is not necessarily an early consideration as evidenced by several people, including one of the whistleblowers last year who brought forth research about how negatively impacted young girls are by Instagram use that companies had available to to them and did not use in their platform. But as we start with these new experiences, and I think there's a lot of people out there who are excited about these, the supposed, and I'm putting in quotes here, but the equity opportunities and all of this and blockchain is supposed to be decentralized. It's supposed to be available to everyone. It's supposed to be much more even playing field for everybody out there. What are you thinking about when it comes to this tech and how do you feel about that from a mental health perspective? Like, I don't know exactly how to frame the question. I don't know how to frame the question. Mm. That's not just this like immensely broad thing, but yeah. Well, yeah. Cool. I'll break off a couple of pieces of it. One is that um, there's some preliminary research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, oh, I, I, we can, we can digest this a little bit but there there um the, there's preliminary research into like metaverse and when i say metaverse what i mean is immersive online environments because we don't have metaverse yet right but um a vr and ar environments and and metaverse like immersive environments um that the same kind of harassment and um and marginalizing and and scary experiences are happening there as they're happening in the rest of the internet like could have probably could have told you that before but like it's not different it is not measurably different it's not measurably better um and in fact it might be a little bit worse so like uh we when we create open spaces online uh in especially because all of this stuff has been normalized in online spaces hate speech um all this, all this really like, you know, I mentioned earlier that the problem around extremist and terrorist behavior and, and fascist behavior is like really small, but it's really loud. Like, that's the same. It's the same whether the whether we're talking about Web 2.0 or Web 3 or what else or metaverse or whatever, like it's the same. Um, and so, like, before we go tumbling down that road, we got a lot of work to do. We just do. Um, the things about um, blockchain and, and NFTs um, is also, it's a similar one to like to critiques I have about um, capitalism, which is who's actually benefiting. And by and large, it's still a speculator's speculation. And, you know, it's, an, it's a market for investors and speculators and it's a, it's a bubble. And so most people, who are involved are not benefiting and don't have access to the the actual um, boom of it and 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 so there's some nuggets in there that are interesting and exciting that relate to people actually being able to own things online but like they're still copyable there's still a lot of there's still it's not like it's and a lot of that stuff is also already been done in many interesting ways in games right it's not it's not dramatically different. I've seen a few interesting examples of really communities coming up around NFTs in a way like shared ownership, ideas of shared ownership. And those are compelling. I just haven't seen them scale yet. And I haven't, I haven't seen them exist outside of what overall overarchingly is a, is a, what to me is a kind of wild west speculators environment. So I'm I'm pretty you can see here I'm a pretty heavy skeptic when it comes to this stuff, um, but I'm a skeptic because I've seen how it's played out iteration by iteration in tech, and who has benefited and who hasn't, and who continues to benefit and who has co- continues to have access to capital and like if the structural issues around capitalism and um, and the concentration of wealth don't change then they don't change whether it's web 2.0 or web 3.0. And like, that's just, yeah, that's the way it is. Um, so there is some nugget of really interesting tech in there. And like, right. you know, and, and I'm sure that some of that will shake out, but in the meantime, the other stuff will shake out too. And I'm pretty sure of that. I, yeah. I think so. it's extremely fair stuff. Um, yeah. And that's good. I, I've had 
you know, people on the show who are very invested and into it and ready to go. And I've had other people who are more on the end of, look, mm-hmm. this is exciting, but like, let's fix some stuff first. And I think that there's... Cooler heels. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. there's validity on both sides, yeah. right? Like, there's a, there's a way for both of those people to coexist and really get something out of the relationship that I, I think would be beneficial for both, you know? Um, oh, yeah. I, I do think there's a nugget there, yeah, but it's... Totally. It, um, right. Yeah. I think, I think people kind of throwing all their eggs into that basket, being like, oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I just don't see it yet. Yeah. I just don't see it yet. I'm with you on that. Um, before we, before I get into my last question, I want to do a quick summary of what we've yeah. talked about so far. Um, so Take This supports people who make and play games and content creators. So a lot of folks within the gaming community, however you choose to interact with it. One of, one thing, one way I feel like you very succinctly described a lot of what you do is that you want to bring good and accurate science to the gaming community. Um, you want to encourage protective factors to help build resiliency. You want to encourage good community development. Um, you want to help people fulfill a lot of needs that they can fulfill online and bring all kinds of play back into daily life um, and provide those kind of healthy environments and where to do that. And one thing that we talked about a lot with parenting is that it's actually good to be a helicopter parent in these environments that you can I'm going and see that those are the types of things that are happening online um, rather mm-hmm. than a lot of the other stuff that's out there and is prevalent in the problem. Um, there's mm-hmm. more work to do in certain geographic areas than others. And I, that was really important to me because I get lost in the U.S. focus a lot. Some, a lot of things are happening in the U.S. market. Things, the, the big ships are moving slowly as the uh, medical being used. Um, whereas in other markets, yeah, they're not moving. They're anchored in a really ugly hardware. Or they're different. Yeah. They're just really different, right. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we talked about culture shift, how you were starting with gender-based harm. There's absolutely other intersections, other people that face harm, but this is a starting point. Um, I wanted to bring back up the Games and Online Harassment Hotline, which is up and running, and I have linked in the show notes. Um, and one of the things that we spent a lot of time was understanding harm and taking a non-punitive approach by instead supporting, supporting survivors and creating an accountability and repair process, which I think is a good take in a lot of areas. But I also just think that, yeah, mm-hmm. supporting the people who are harmed should be the priority. Um, there's a thriving nonprofit sector in games. So getting a chance to actually work with, with the industry and and alongside the industry to move the needle and make a difference is definitely a possibility if that's something that people out there are interested in. Um, go check out Take This. Go take your nonprofit passions into gaming. Gaming needs more of it. A lot of good stuff happening. And then the last thing we talked about, a little discussion of the metaverse. Preliminary research into immersive online environments shows the exact same kind of ugly stuff that's happening there as it is on the rest of the internet, which is 0% surprising. Uh, still a little sad. Um, exactly. <laughs> I liked your your stance that there's nugget within the tech that are nuggets within the tech that's interesting and exciting, but it's not dramatically different than what's out there. And there's a need to fix structural issues first before diving headfirst into this is what we're doing. <laughs> um, so with that, I like to ask this question at the end of every podcast because it's really fun. It's a way for you to look back at your career. And I want to ask you, what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful? Ah, um, I think I won't answer it in terms of getting into games because it really like that was that was a that was a happenstance thing. But like the thing that I would want to say to my younger self is to have patience. That um, you're you're going to do a lot of things that will feel frustrating or not quite the right thing or won't really answer the question you thought you needed to ask but but at some point those will start to coalesce and it takes longer to get to that place a lot of times than you want it to you know i'm i i've been working i i graduated from college in 1999 mm-hmm. and and I'm in the job, the first job where I really feel like this is exactly where I want to be, be and I'm doing exactly what I wanted to do. And, you know, that took a while, objectively. Um, 
and as a woman, you know, there was time I took, I made the choice as a mother to take some time off when my daughter was really young. And, um, you know, that slowed me down, but, but it's also enriched me and made me a better, you know, more informed person in a lot of ways. And so like, have patience with yourself, with your career trajectory, um, get out if things are really bad, like leave the, the shitty jobs. You don't always know that they're bad when they start, but like, leave those, like do that. Um, but otherwise give yourself the space to not go in a straight line and um, to ask the wrong questions and get different answers than you expected, you know? Oh, that's yeah. so wonderful. Enjoy the winding journey. I like it. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And that, like, I also will acknowledge that like, I'm supremely lucky to do what I do and what I, you know, to be able to be here. Like not everybody gets this opportunity, but it did. It wasn't a straight line here. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right there with you. <laughs> yeah. Privilege is real on that one. I'm very, very lucky to have mm-hmm. wound up yeah. where I wound up to meet the people I've met and to bring it. So yeah. With you. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you, follow you this, uh, interact with your work, volunteer for you? I know you mentioned the Discord on your website. Where else? Yeah, so take this out of org. We we have a we have um we're on Twitter at Take This Org and Facebook, Take This Org and LinkedIn and Instagram. It's all Take This Org. Um and uh and YouTube as well. Uh we have a number of resources up there. And um you can find them all on social media or via our website. And we have a mental health resources page on our website. It's very easy to find that has crisis um crisis lines, emotional support hotlines, lots of resources for if you or a friend or a family member needs help. Yes. And I don't yeah. ever, never remember that I put that in games, the game spotlight. For all listeners out there, leave the five-star ratings and reviews. Make no comment on my terrible voice this week. <laughs> Be sure to check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business, all the Metaverse finance stories you could ever want, Business of Esports for interviews with industry leaders. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Koss. You can catch me Wednesday nights on the Business of Esports Live After Show, and you can catch this podcast in your feed every week. See you next time. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.